0: So as that started to take root in corporate, people began to understand what a good boss was. <laughs> what does it mean to have one? And what does it mean when I don't? And as that um, has has grown, either with a connection to StrengthsFinder or otherwise, employee engagement is now a very common topic, no matter who you credit for it. And I think as organizations are becoming increasingly aware of that interest, there's also the education and and increased intelligence among workers to know who they will and won't work for. And and finding that they have options out there that they can move to, and I think they're taking advantage.
1: Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, brought to you by Cartavera the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We're also now excited to be a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, an opportunity to spread our message and expand our impact. Today, we have Brandon Miller with us. He is the CEO and founder of an organization called 34 Strong. It's a coaching and consulting business that helps improve employee engagement. Brandon has been engaged in and studying leadership for more than 15 years. He's also part of the Gallup Clifton Finders Coaches Network. And today we're going to talk about some of the foundations of leadership. We're going to talk about ways to use the Strength Finders assessment tool to not only grow yourself, but also your team and your engagement. He's going to talk about the connection we have between our engagement and our productivity and ultimately our profits. We're have a fascinating discussion about the role of negativity bias in our leadership and ways we can shift from negativity bias to positive intent in order to grow trust, Grow engagement and thereby grow productivity. It's going to be a deep conversation of what it really takes to grow yourself as a leader and, more importantly, expand your engagement. There's also going to be an interesting twist because Brandon and his wife have written books and have also developed a program to help parents be better parents. And he's going to talk today about ways that you can take your parental leadership and transform it and impact it in your business leadership. We are excited to be back here because, once again, we're going to be talking about leadership today, but with a couple of twists. We've got with us today Brandon Miller. He is one of the first seven certified Gallup Clifton Finders coaches in the world. And more than 15 years ago, he was a very early practitioner of the Clifton Finders, using it as the executive leader for a nonprofit. Since then, he's coached hundreds of leaders to find and leverage their strengths for themselves and their teams. He today is the CEO of an organization called 34 Strong. They, they're a consulting and coaching firm that helps improve employee engagement. Now, here's the piece to pay attention to. Brandon is also the co-founder of an organization called Incredible Family, which is a consultancy agency that's passionate about seeing families engage in Strength based parenting approach to parenting that helps parents unlock their best selves and raise strong, happy children and teens. Love it And as you're going to hear in this conversation, part of what that organization does is help provide resources and support to employees who are dealing with their daily lives and their family challenges. You know, you've got working parents, you've got COVID, you've got hybrid, you've got remote. I mean, this is, this is clearly an organization for our times. You're going to have, hear all from Brandon. One last piece is he and his wife, Anna Lynn. Miller um, are not only successful business owners, they're parental leaders.
2: <laughs>
1: They've got seven children. They've written two books on leadership and parenting. The most recent is called Incredible Parent, which came out earlier this year in 2021. So we're going to talk about leadership across a wide spectrum today. So welcome, Brandon.
0: Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Craig. It's great to be here. Yeah, glad to have you.
1: So Brandon, there's a lot in there, but give everybody a little bit of the Brandon Miller backstory.
0: Sure. So uh, I'm often asked that you have seven kids. Does that make you Catholic? Are you Mormon? Like where do, <laughs> where do you where do you root into? Who who does that? Who who goes and starts a family uh, and grows it that large? And we like to say my wife and I with a little twinkle in her eye. We're not either one of those. Uh, we uh, played to our strengths and seven kids, and that's what happened. And here we are. <laughs> and we uh, we started very young. So we were married at 18 and 17, high school sweethearts, nice. and just celebrated our 28th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Uh, so we, we basically have two tribes. So we have three kids in their 20s hmm. that are married themselves and started their own families. So we have four grandchildren with two on the way. So we wow. will. By the end of twenty one, we'll have six grandchildren, and then we have we like to say only four at home, <laughs> only four. <laughs> oh, an eighteen and seventeen year old, so a freshman in college and a senior in high school, and then uh, the two surprises at the end are boys, David and Daniel. They're fourteen and eleven. So they wow. they keep us what I like to say keep us honest to our message. If we're going to be out here talking to people <laughs> about leadership, talking to them about integrity and character, and playing to someone's strengths as opposed to getting caught up in what they're not good at, that should root to who we are in our personal lives. So it colors everything we do. The life we live at home, the life we live out in public should hopefully mirror each other.
2: Yeah,
1: for sure. Love that, Brandon. So let's, let's start off with some foundation here. You mentioned strength finders and strengths a couple of times. Some of our listeners are going to be familiar, some are not. So talk to everybody about what is, Clifton Strength Finders, and Why Does It Matter? The short version.
0: Sure. 17 years ago, uh, I was sitting at my desk, and a leader in the organization found this book titled, uh, Now Discover Your Strengths, and sat it on my desk and said, hey, we should do this, which was always code to me for, you should do this,
2: I <laughs> decide,
0: you know, is this a real thing? Or are we going to do something with it? So I dove into the book, and it was written by a gentleman named Dr. Donald Clifton, and Clifton had a simple question. What would happen if we spent more of our developmental time focused on what people do right or what they're good at versus what they're not, what outcome could we see? And I was compelled by the question dug in and I took this really simple online assessment called at the time, the strengths finder. And it was intended to give you back insight into your personal strengths. And it, and it, 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 for me, Um, was probably the most accurate psychometric assessment I had taken at the time, but I was more compelled by the philosophy of, wow, now that I know this, if I can spend more time on my own looking at my strengths. And then I happened to have about 20 reports at the time. So we had all of them take this assessment and realized, wow, this changes the narrative, the (laughs) conversation from manager to report changes. We're looking for ways to place you simply to spend more time in your day doing the stuff that you're really good at versus making you spend time on the things you're marginal at best. And uh, I was was compelled and decided that the direction I wanted to head and later on connected with Gallup, became certified. And I would say this assessment matters because I haven't found one like it that really gives you actionable intel because a person as young as 15 years old can take this assessment. And so the results, uh, they've done a great job of giving you uh, actionable steps, things you can really do with the information.
2: Now, I've taken StrengthsFinder a couple of times, slight differences between each one, you know, as, as you progress. But I'm wondering, is does it really bring out skills that you develop or are these the gifts that are innate? H- how do you look at
0: that? Yeah, it's a really great way to think about it. So when a person takes the Clifton Strengths, they're going to be presented with 177 different parents. Mm -hmm. And then they're timed. So they have 20 seconds to move through each one because it moves you out of too deep of a a Mm -hmm. cognitive analysis to more of just a a visceral. How do I relate? And what it's intending to do is it's going to measure four different kinds of strength. So it's going to measure what we call your core strength. So think of those, Craig, as innate. This is Mm -hmm. genetically coded. You didn't get to pick them. It's who you are. And they usually hover around the top of the, the group. The second group that we measure are your growth strengths. Now, those would be the ones you learn along the way, okay. mostly influenced by your primary caregivers. So mm-hmm. you're going to be influenced. You're going to pick these up. And, and at the point where you reach a certain level of adulthood, they, they really merge into those are you. Those are, I like to okay. call them your, your sticky strengths. Mm-hmm. So you could take an assessment like StrengthsFinder multiple times, and they're the ones that will hover in your top 10 grouping. They're going to, they're going to stick. Well, just beneath those are what we call learned behaviors. And this for us as, as human beings, because there's 34 of these strengths, you can learn all of them. We're capable of, of making our way. We just have different variants and how we perform with different ones. So if I need, if I need harmony for a season, that's one of the strengths and it's part of my job, then it's probably going to come up into that top group. However, if, if a time later, yeah, harmony's, doesn't really fit me it'll drop right out so test retest will show which of those will learn behaviors interestingly enough it also measures weaknesses and it'll give you some insights into where you probably don't want to spend a lot of time or interestingly enough that grouping of your really intense strengths they also mirror as your greatest weaknesses or liabilities so it's all found in that same grouping
2: and that's where you hire for somebody else to take over those strengths, right? <laughs> or those exactly.
0: weaknesses. So, so um, there's a team member that's worked with me for about seven years. And we actually, she just earned it as a partner. And my top strengths and her top strengths are complete opposites. So my bottom five and her top 10, right. they, they are opposites. And uh, there's a lot of value to that. A lot, mm-hmm. of, a lot of interesting conversations where my other business partner, our five, we have four of the same in our top five. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of, of commonality there. So it, it's really sometimes bird, birds of a feather work best. Sometimes yeah. it's opposites attract. Um, in work, if I can delegate to Aaron those things that I'm not strong at, in fact, Darren and I both do that, uh, you're right. It's great to hire to people who don't have the strengths that or have the strengths that you don't carry in the way you might want.
2: That's interesting. Jeff and I are very similar in, in a lot of ways. I think some of our strengths come out.
1: So, so Brandon, you said something early on that I want to – dig around, you're talking about what I heard as redefining people's roles and responsibilities. Yeah. Because if you, if you look at people's strengths and you say, I want you to spend more of your time on the things that are your strengths mm-hmm. and less or nothing on the things that are not, that's going to require some reshuffling of the deck typically. Mm-hmm. And I suspect there's resistance in companies to that. So talk about that resistance and also how do you help encourage or support companies in actually making those kinds of reshuffling of roles?
0: Yes, so we think about time as the equalizer for each of us, right? So we have so many working hours that we engage and we, we ask people to think about their work in one of three categories. So the category most of us are very familiar with is what we call the grind of your job. So think of the grind as the tasks that are required and necessary to get the job done, and and many of us can share those. The other two we describe are what we call your greatness or your genius. So greatness would be where you're probably playing your strengths. You're in a space where you're doing what you do best. And genius would be that over years. It's now, it's it's your brand reputation. It's what you're known for and you are at your best there. So when we get that down to a simple ratio of time and what we, what we connect it to is engaged employees and what we offer to leaders within organizations is if you have people grinding more than they're using their strengths, it is a recipe that the grind will grind them back. Irrespective of how talented, how, how much fortitude they possessed, how one of the common strengths is achiever, for example. In fact, most common strength in the world. And these people are grinders by nature. They can grind for days and days, super <laughs> resilient folks even an achiever under the wrong conditions of a job, just taking it from them, it will decline their energy. It will yep. decline their resilience. It won't bounce back as easy. So when we talk about, look, if you can level the playing field, you can at least get your people to a 50, 50 ratio or better yet at a leadership level, the ideal is 30% grind, 70% in their strengths. Hmm. What you will get back is there's four key things that you will get back for that exchange. You will get more, you'll retain more people because they, they will equate their engagement to their well being outside of work. If I leave work feeling strong, I feel energized. At the end of my day, I have, I have room in the tank to go coach my kids. I've room in the tank to take my family out to a dinner. I'm probably going to have some loyalty to that role that serves me that way. Secondly, you're going to get more productivity per individual. You just see more come from them through day. Third, the customer metrics, how they treat your stakeholders, how they engage outside of, of the organization. You watch those numbers increase. And then lastly on the for-profit side, profit, you see those numbers. So for every, every, every point of engagement, we go up, we can relate it to profit. And that's where eyes light up. That's where ears perk to Okay, that, that, that just makes sense. So if there's reallocation, interestingly enough, Jeff, a lot of it comes in the form of how do we use technology to make some of those grind tasks less time? Is there a way to delegate interdepartmental? Can we share responsibility? You take the part you're good at, Craig. Um, Jeff, he's not so good, but you like this part. How about you guys share this project? We get a better outcome. So those are really commonly ways that we help, help them understand. It might feel soft at first this is really hard data that you might be able to lean back into.
1: Cool. Well, Brandon, it would seem in some of those cases, you're not only going to, you might actually move people out of roles and departments even because, I mean, if you talked about someone who's a grinder, a data grinder, and that that is really one of their greatness areas, but they've ended up somehow getting hired, which it can happen, into a role that they don't get to do that, or vice versa, because I'm not the data grinder. If right. that was my job every day, it <laughs> would not take long before that moment came. And it may mean I got I've got to go get another job in the organization because you
0: can't move enough to get me to that 3070. It's exactly right. Because in some cases, as one would expect, we will find miscast people. It's it's going to happen. And, and that's partly. Um, due to the fact that our hiring processes in many organizations, they're broken because we we've essentially taught people to play act. So we come in and i'm I'm doing the res, you know the interview with you, and I want you to hear the right things and you want me to say the right things. And I heard a speaker last year who said, uh, he said, What percentage of times do you think people lie in interviews? This guy had conducted two hundred and fifty thousand of them. Wow. So you know people are like fifty percent, seventy percent, eighty percent. He goes no. The answer is 120 because they lie more than once, <laughs> either, by, either by embellishing facts or withholding. So it's no shock that we end up people miscast. Right? They get in a role and you're like, this doesn't fit you at all. You're 90% grind. So now, now you know the leadership has an opportunity. I can figure out if I have a role that fits for where your strengths are, or we talk about other options. Is there a graceful offer ramp? Here's there a way to you know share this responsibility, but it will happen. And, and when it does, and when there's flexibility or mobility, we do see a, a, a really strong appreciation for that.
2: Oh.
1: So, one, so one of the questions we always like to ask, Brandon, and I used the word earlier in my prior question of resistance. I, well, we believe, and certainly I believe that often the obstacle to getting, achieving our objective uh, is an obstacle. In fact, there's some sort of resistance. Like we know the good idea, but there's something gets in our way. So what you're talking about makes perfect sense. And it seems like every company should just say, yeah, we're doing that, and then it changed the world. But what gets in the way for them?
0: Yeah. And so I'll I'll sum it in two words, negativity bias. And negativity bias is the belief that I can improve your ability to do something good by solving where you're lacking competence or weakness. And so negativity bias is intended, if we just think historically, it's it's a protection layer. We assess threats first. and and that translates to then we assess weakness first. But when we can talk to leadership about negativity bias to positive intent, so leading with there's 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 some brilliance here. There's some genius in this person. What is it? Mm -hmm. And let's get to that because that's going to give us far more results than what we're we're, we're looking at. And so, where the resistance comes is this way a strengths approach, when it shifts to positive intent, it isn't just about how time is spent, it's how we interact. So, we're looking for, we give them this ratio, five to one ratio change. So, five positive interactions to every one negative. And we give them the, you know, give an organization the ability to understand that really starts to maximize your productivity. You see such a, a, a better response from a team member when you say, hey, Craig, you and I need to have a meeting. Can we meet? And if the ratio is five negative to one, he's going, ah, crap, what I do. <laughs> what I do, why is the boss calling me here? Right. Well, that ratio has changed too. I am finding ways to build on Craig's strengths. And I go, hey, can we have a meet? Craig's going to go, sure, let's talk. So what we've just increased in that connection is trust. Now we trust each other. And if we can trust each other, Oh, we can yeah. tell each other the truth. That's the foundation. Yeah. yeah. Cause now Craig can admit when he doesn't know. And if he got it wrong and I blew that last week and we can have constructive actual growth. Yeah. So Jeff, where we've really find a rub is just some of I'll use the term old school, <laughs> very authoritarian type of leadership that says, no, 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 no. The way you get people to perform is it's my way of the highway. It's very direct. It's very you know, very you know, much perform or not. My way, yeah, micromanage. Not. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the greatest resistance we find in almost any organization. It's top-down, authoritarian, just militaristic style. And and that's the if we're going to run into a roadblock, that's where it will be.
2: Now, how many of those people would actually take because this is out there now? StrengthsFinder has been proven a lot. So, how much of those people that are more authoritarian are actually going to say, well, wait a minute, maybe, maybe I'm not looking at it the right way. And they're open to it.
0: So it has to, and this is where the work that we do, it has to connect to a metric that they would say is important. So okay. we make the case for engagement as part of their regular screening. Like, do they, they care about engagement? You know, when, when a leader understands that engagement equals productivity equals profit equals. So they start to see it as a, as a looming reality over all of their other KPIs. Then now, now they're interested.
2: But if, if they they really believe that, why are they still authoritarian? I mean, it it seems like there's a disconnect here
0: because it's a default. So, so I'll talk to you as a recovering authoritarian leader. (laughs) It's, it's a natural style for me. And, and to be fair, 90% of leaders will either be authoritarian or permissive. Neither one leads to strong engagement. The ideal leadership is called authoritative. So it's where you get the best of authoritarian, direct, precise, you know, um, I can have difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable holding you accountable, being assertive. But I also get the benefit of permissive, which is warmth, care, interest, personable. I'm empathetic, right? Right. Well, for many of us, that's learned behavior. We learn to get to authoritative. And that's the rub is that I don't get it right every time. There's times I want to just expedite to just do it because I said, just do it now. And that's sometimes, Craig, where you get that real journey of leadership agreeing. We want to be authoritative and we want to understand how to move our people to that space. And do you find that
2: that default comes out more under stress?
0: And, oh yes, and we we like to say that frustration is the is the trigger. Okay. So so where where leaders go, if you could think of a matrix, so top right corner is authoritative, bottom right authoritarian, top right is permissive. The lower left quadrant is called uninvolved, hmm. and uninvolved you can think of it as just being ambiguous, just being um, you're not sure where you stand with me. So very unstable. Well, uninvolved or even ignoring. That's the end point of a frustrated leader. It's yes. just get away. And, and what we what we share statistically is when you measure engagement, that style of leadership leads to literally almost no engaging people. You, you get people just they they check out, they tap out. And so in that space, what we equally share is go back to the well-being conversation. My well-being is not good when I'm managing. 80% of my people who aren't engaged and are conspiring against me. I'm not doing good. <laughs> this, is, this is where I'm, I'm checking out. And that's, that's the toe line they grab is, okay, what you're telling me is that if I can reverse this, not only am I, am I going to see better return on my business metrics, but I'm going to have better return in my personal well-being. And that can tilt it.
1: Gotcha. So Brandon, you, you, you've talked a lot about engagement. Let me ask you this engagement-related question. When you think about leaders, and I mean the leaders who are the top leaders making the decisions, they're they're the one that, frankly, their opinion matters most. Do they? There's going to be a group of people that don't care about engagement, right? And there's going to be the group that says, I care about engagement. So that's one difference. They either care or I don't. Yep. And then the ones that say they care about engagement may say, but I don't know how to get it. Or there's probably another group that says, we've already got it. Right. We're great. Right, like, what are you, do you? Are you finding a pattern from amongst those? In your,
0: I role? am. So, with with the leaders that do say, so the senior leaders that are making the decisions, sending out the messages, and and leading the team, that we instruct them very early. If you're not modeling this message, then you're going to get mirrored back exactly what you're doing. So, so it's up to you. And, and those that really take that to heart, the, the hardest work they have in front of them is winning that executive team over to this, this philosophy shift. And as they, they shift, what they're looking for is, is, is quickly they're looking for ROI. Where can I see results that I can point to that bring people along that are going to lag, bring people along that are going to be late adopters, right? And so they they use the energy of the early adopters to get some results, and then they they see how the lag group comes behind. and And not uncommon, not every executive makes it through that filtering process. There are some that this this sort of shift is not going to work for them, and we've seen them make transitions as a result. so it's it, it's about an eighteen month process, depending on where they start as an organization and engagement. And as they begin to make the shift, as you would expect, Jeff, you know, some, some are going to hold out. Um, Others are going to buy in right away and others just need to see some proof before they make that initiative.
1: So Brandon, you threw out a, a, a data point earlier. You talked about five to one. Yeah. And I, what I heard in that is that you're the people, the team members need to have a five to one positive to negative experience in order to be engaged. Yeah. Um, That number doesn't surprise me. It terrifies me, but it doesn't surprise me. (laughs) Just because I think many organizations are lucky if they're one-to-one. Yeah, for sure. So here's my question in that. Um, Strength finders is about focusing on strengths. Mm -hmm. And you said earlier, we have this negativity bias that most people, if they don't work on it intentionally, will tend to see what's wrong first. And they're going to tend to see where people mess up. And they're going to tend to tell them what they can do better at versus what they do well at. Mm. So It's a long-winded question, but what I'm getting to is when people start using the strength finders, does it also help them to start seeing people getting things right so they end up more positive feedback in addition to their role shifts, et cetera?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll share with you an example we give in just about every training, and it's the example of a report card conversation. So most of the people in the room are either uh, parents or have had parents. So we usually get everyone <laughs> and, and almost everyone has had a report card conversation with someone in their life, receiving or giving in or both. And what we say is when you, when you had that conversation, and if the marks were a, a, b, c, a, a, where was the focus going to be? And almost unanimous, it's, you guys can answer where's the focus. Please yeah, so eighty percent of parents statistically, will spend eighty percent of their time talking about the C. And what we ask them is, to what end? What does that do for the child to focus more of your energy, not not celebrating the a's, not not taking great, you know, eighty percent of your time focused there. What does it do? Essentially, it teaches a child, my path to success lies through remediating or fixing what's wrong with me. So when we say, well what if what if you just switch that? What if you switch that to say, You're going to put 80% of your time building the child's confidence, Mm -hmm. growing their competence in where they already are strong and then spend 20% or so remediating the C, whatever the C is. Mm -hmm. Often we give them anecdotally a a real scenario that happened with myself and my daughter at the time in sixth grade. She had that report card, all A's and a C. And the C was in math. And I, like every other parent, looked at that report card and said, what the heck happened in math? (laughs) What went wrong? But I caught myself. And this is this was part of my journey. I said, Madeline, you got some amazing A pluses. One of them was in reading. Do you like to read? She goes, yeah, I love to read. Sometimes you think you're putting me to bed at night. I'll stay till two in the morning reading books. <laughs> said, All right. You know, little 12 year old. That's awesome. I said, I'll tell you what, this summer, I'm, daddy's going to hire you. She got you know, a little grin. I said, I'm going to hire you to read books. And every book you read, 100 pages, you get a dollar, 200, you get two. 500 more, you get. Five bucks turn in a book report every monday i'll pay you in cash i'll ask them how do you think the summer went?" and many of them will go you spent a lot of money and like and every i get a wise cracker well did you buy her math books to read like no <laughs> I let her pick the books so she read it read and read and read her reading level kept growing up she's today she's a senior in high school she does really well in her english studies does just loves that subject well at the end of the summer i said hey matt what do you think about doing some math tutoring to support that? And my answer, her answer was, sure, sure, no problem. And so we've supported math. She's doing fine. She'll, you know, she'll graduate from high school and probably not pursuing engineering, but you know, she she'll do fine. And all we did was take the exact same conversation and just change the ratios. And so what we asked most managers is, What if you did that in the annual review? Yeah. Because when someone walks in their review, as soon as you say, Excellent, excellent, excellent needs improvement. The rest of the conversation is about needs improvement. Right. So how, do, how, how much do people look forward to annual reviews? Well, the stats right. tell us not very much. <laughs> they, they don't value that time. So that's where many start to go, ah, okay, I, c- I can connect that because they've been on the receiving end of it. Yeah. They know how that feels on this end, and that's often what moves.
2: I just saw that yesterday in one of one of the people that works with me. Um, she came back with the graphic that I was like, "Yeah, you know, I didn't really like that. Here are some changes here. But the next one that she sent in was fantastic. I was like, wow, this is better than I expected, et cetera, et cetera. And so because I've had those positive interactions, I didn't I thought about it and I really cogitated, you know, am I going to present this as I need these changes? How is she going to take that? you know, but I realized, okay, I've built up some trust here, we have a good relationship. And she's told me she's, she's good with that feedback. So put it out there, she changed it, everything was good. So it really does make a difference to, to have those positive interactions. And one of my clients said, wow, you know, she's really a, a, a treasure. So I made sure that she got that note of what he had said too. And she's like, wow, you know, this is really good. So absolutely helps.
0: Yeah, I'll give you a, a really important data point to go along with just what you said. And so we, we use a tandem tool to the StrengthsFighter called the Q12. And essentially, mm-hmm. it's an engagement metrics tool. And it's very well trusted. Uh, I want to say somewhere, you know, 90% of the S&P 500 have used this somewhere inside their organizations, along with strengths. And one of the, of the 12 indicators of engagement, one of them says, in the last seven days, I've received recognition or praise for doing good work. Hmm. So if you just take a a normal month, that's three times a month, someone is telling you, good job, keep up the good work, you know, do you know, thumbs up all around. Well, if I can, if I can train a manager to understand, look, at least three times a month, find a reason (laughs) to, to build them up it's scientific it works they will remember those interactions yes you can remediate yes you can correct 5 to 1 might be a little much let's just start with 3 3 check <laughs> marks <laughs> and if you're really eager go for 4 once a week you know and what we hear reported back is you know since i've now been training myself to see that more yeah. it's yeah. actually building more of these conversations
2: yeah it's interesting because i i started recently so a long time I'd go out to a restaurant, get good service, and I'd say, hey, can I speak to your manager? And You know, eyes get really big. What happened? You know, and, and so now I preface it with, can I speak to your manager so I can say good things about you? You know, sure. Yeah. You know, manager comes over, talked about that. I've now started to not withhold good thoughts. I'm thinking about somebody, right? So I saw this family at a restaurant and the kids were getting along really well, you know, kind of like middle, middle school age, something like that. And I saw the girl come over and just, you know, hang out with dad and you know, just give him a hug and stuff. And before I left, I said, hey, good job. I see that you're you're clearly doing something right as a parent, just wanted to give you some kudos. You know, and, and saying those good things, it's training me to say those good things. But my goodness, I just made that person's day.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: So Brandon, I'm curious with your report card question, how much of this is also about shifting a perspective to look at context Uh because when you said that about the report card i'm i'm sure there were times i did that but more often what i looked at was what was the grade the prior period sure because if someone had a d and now it's a c i'm focusing on the c for from a great success yeah So i look at the context because to me i'm looking for people to I want to see that they're growing, they're developing, they're improving. You know, I'm more I'm more likely to highlight an employee, frankly, who has to fight the fight to get there versus someone who can dial it in. Because the person who dials it in, well, they had the natural gift. I'm still going to compliment them and praise yeah. them. But that person who's overcoming something, that's what I'm looking for.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you I, done I, your best? Yeah. I Of our seven children, our seventh. Actually, academics is is a challenge for him, uh, and so we we invested into some areas to support him, and we found that that Daniel um, he's equally our most athletically talented kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's he's the kid that's winning MVP, starting quarterback, you know, best swimmer, you name it. The guy's unbelievable. Well, in academics, when he would make progress, so a, a C to Daniel might have been. Great job. (laughs) No effort. You know, like that was a real celebration. So there is a reality of context and, Mm -hmm. and an opportunity in his case, because he's so competitive, we actually found a a reading program that plays to competitive kids (laughs) and, and it actually gamifies reading. So we spent, and and it was one of our blessings of COVID just godsend of COVID because he was home. So we invested in this program in one year, he was in 5th grade his reading level was 3rd grade level at the start of the year the end of the year was 8th grade level wow. in one year because what we had to simply do for him was change the learning style
2: to mm. just change, yeah. just
0: fit it to his natural way that he engages and for yeah. him winning competitions getting on there and feeling like he was advancing that's what it took it, it's what it took awesome. for him so it, so there is you're right jeff context is important it's yep. not yep. a simple one to one you do need to see the whole the whole scenario as a good leader.
2: Yeah.
1: The other thing that came up for me, and just listening to you, Brandon, was the messages that get communicated or not through this whole dialogue. And because mm. I chuckled inside when you brought up the report card, I was I was a pretty good student. I didn't work that hard because, frankly, school was easy to me. People hated me, especially <laughs> high school. I didn't care, if, and I didn't care if I got all A's. A's yeah. and B's were fine. But I remember one time I got a C in choir.
2: <laughs>
1: and I was in choir, I like choir actually. I was in the 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 show and the performers and my dad said to me, "What's with the C?" And my response was, "Well, I missed the concert because I went to a baseball game instead." He goes, "Oh, that's fine." <laughs> and I chuckle about that, but that said a lot about what he valued, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing happens and the praise we give to people or the praise we withhold or the yeah. criticism we give and I don't know that enough leaders are thoughtful about that undertone message. Absolutely.
2: Now, if you had if you had uh, missed a baseball game and gone to choir, how would he have felt about that?
1: <laughs> I think he I would have had he would have had a conversation with me about commitment. <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> Priorities.
1: <laughs> I think so.
0: Yeah. I, I work with a leader over the last couple of years and and it's in a public health agency. So you might imagine during COVID, what life was like for these people, you know, just really stretched. Yeah. And this leader coined this phrase. She said, what I've started to do is to look for ways to commend the common things that I may have otherwise overlooked or just went past, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. showing up on time for a meeting, knowing that they have children at home, that they're trying to also educate or, getting things done at our routine. And by doing this, we actually saw this traumatic rise in how her, her leaders were engaging and subsequent. And this was in the midst of what anyone in their field would describe as just crazy time. I mean, just, just yeah. chaos in the crisis. And yet realize if I can get good at just being in that space of, of putting a drop in their bucket, positive reinforcement, I can start to get a cumulative effect of that, that now we we have better interactions with each other. Mm-hmm. So then when I'm having to talk about another Saturday, we have to work or, or another, you know, pressing project that we got to apply our science team to there's, you know, there's still weariness, but we're seeing, you know, these people hang in there, their resilience is coming through.
2: So I'm curious with seven children, when you apply what you apply in the strength side, what are your children saying to each other? How are they mirroring what you've built into them?
0: Yeah, so the, there's a variance. So the the kids, I have, I have a couple of really competitive kids. I mean, really competitive. And, <laughs> and so they compare their strengths to their siblings. <laughs> so to them, a little bit of the strengths is winning somehow. And then I have some kids who are not at all and and very, I think across the board, they've learned to respect each other's. You know, benefits. Uh, so I, maybe maybe you can relate. So with siblings, my two oldest daughters are are total opposite to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they are oil and water. And the entire time we're going through their teen years, we're coaching them on the differences of their strengths. literally one person's top is the bottom, vice versa, mm-hmm. and coaching them on eventually, you two will figure out that you can support each other. <laughs> Yes. Right now you're just driving each other crazy, (laughs) but eventually, and sure enough, when both girls had their daughters, they had daughters within six months of each other. All of a sudden we're watching the relationship come to a place where now as adults, they're appreciating and respecting and admiring the differences between them. So it's a, there is a time element to that of reinforcing that positive intent. (laughs) And in their case, I'm, I'm just very happy in their twenties. We're starting to see it come around.
2: I'm experiencing that with my siblings right now. We just lost my mom maybe six weeks ago and seeing everybody come together. We're really appreciating my go-getter sister, you know, getting a lot of things done while we're helping dad and being there, you know, both emotionally and helping around the house and stuff, the other sister being distant, but it really does make a big difference and seeing those differences. And we have commented multiple times saying, wow, we are working really well as a team, knowing that we're very different. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cardaveracom confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience. And we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy Hold Sell Today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. Welcome back. Oh, so
1: Brandon, um, I love I'm gonna just take this to run with this transition. You started talking about parenting and your kids, and that's a topic that comes up often here about how they're so similar. In fact, they're almost the same. And I know I'm often talking to leaders about parenting, which is when they usually get most angry with me, frankly. Because <laughs> uh, it's, it's pretty hard for a leader when I'll say, So, if this scenario involved your kids, what would you have done? Right. They'll kind of go, Well, it's different. I'll go, Well, how is it different? <laughs> I'll say, so, what do you want for your kids? Well, I want them to grow up. I want them to be better leaders. I want them to be better people. Well, you want that for your people too? Yeah. So, are you doing it the same way?
2: <laughs> so, right.
1: so, talk about how. You've written a couple of books with your wife around parenting. How much is that brought into your business? How much comes from the business? Help us make this, connect the dots here for us.
0: So in in our our business at 34 Strong, because of the second company that we have, Incredible Family, uh, we do offer inside of organizations, the coaching for parents, the coaching and support for their working parents. and So we're seeing more and more receptivity and openness to that side. On the leadership front, uh, when we liken in, in our trainings, management and parenting or leadership and parenting, most, whether they are presently or or you know, at whatever stage or age they are as a parent or had parents, they can connect to, yeah, they're, the leadership realities are similar. You want to engage people. You want to overcome challenges. You want to move them along. And so, they, they'll connect where it Becomes interesting is when there is trauma at home, when there is the challenge that is is now deep and personal. And so, if we've set the stage that it's safe to go there, they will bring it through our coaching. So our coaches will comment that they're that they're balancing professional and personal coaching, and and it opens up to some really interesting um, transformations in both places because the same leader showing up in both places and realizing. You know, if I'm going to apply this approach here in my professional space, I probably should start thinking differently about how I relate with my teenager who's driving me crazy. Probably need to start looking at we go, absolutely. And we have all the resources you need. We have an assessment for teens. We have an assessment for kids. We have one for your grade schools. We have ways to support you and a place to funnel you if that's an important area for you to discover right now.
2: Fantastic.
1: Talk about that safety piece. Yeah. that does not get talked about enough. Mm-hmm. Talk more about the importance of that safety and how you create that.
0: Yeah. I think I think when you and you as in, as a if you are a person working within organizations or a leader in your company and you are familiar with the reality that the the line between managing someone professionally and personally, um, COVID erased it in many mm-hmm. cases. You couldn't effectively manage professionally and not know that they have a five-year-old sitting at the table with them, that they're trying to yeah. educate while working. Hopefully. Or, Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> or, or, you know, kids in the other room that they have to make sure are still not, they're still doing what they're being asked on zoom or even being awake for the zoom. That's what I dealt with, with my teens last year. <laughs> 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 they go on zoom and just go back to sleep. And we go back in the room. Like, what are you doing? You hear the class going on. You're not going to learn this. We're and I get my teens going, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'll, I'll get it at the end of the week. Well, you need to know what that reality is. And I think it, as leaders recognize, we want to create safety here. Um, and I'll give you the category that, that probably needs it more than any, are moms. Um, they, have a, they have a stat out there that uh, I don't know the source it, by my uh, colleague, Dr. Darby, Ryan Darby. Uh, they're calling it the motherhood penalty. And that one in six moms are now at a point of leaving the workforce because of just the reality of the kid life. And so I think where leaders start to tune in is, we don't wanna lose that talent. We don't wanna lose that experience. We don't wanna lose that future leader because of that stage of life. We wanna support it. And I think that safety is being uh, understood and that message is being shared.
2: That surprises only one in six. Yeah. Well, to
1: that point, you know, one of the bits of information we saw, well, it just was one of the government studies last December. So, December of 20, the net, there was a net law, law, job loss of 100,000, and it was 100% women yeah. when you sorted out the numbers. And what I don't know, I'm really curious about what they're calling the great uh, resignation. 11 and a half million people in April through June and our guest last week called it the great disengagement. <laughs> I'm curious what percentage of that is women and I'm guessing it's a much higher percentage of women than men.
0: It is and and I mean from a when we when we work with HR professionals and for many of them that are trying to solve it they're recognizing that that the way companies have approached or or even government agencies have approached those seasons of life that that they're recognizing there's a real fall down on supporting that transition into parenting that people are making. And and often, societally, it's going to fall on the mom and her responsibility with the kids. So it's interesting something you said there, um,
1: Brandon, I don't know if it's part of your work explicitly or not. You talked about just being aware of that reality. And I would say that there's some business owners and leaders would say it's not my job to fix their life. And others would say, "Well, no, if I care about my people and if I really want them to succeed, I'm going to help them because I can't I have a, the ability to help by doing something right. differently here. Mm-hmm. What are you saying around leaders and organizations taking on that I'll just say, maybe it should be the norm, but it's a greater responsibility.
0: Yeah, and I think we can agree that leaders today who are I'll use the term calloused to some of these conversations, are experiencing part of that 11 million people resign Uh, in in organizations that we work with. Interestingly enough, both private and public sector, you don't usually see this in public sector, but it's happening right now on par with, with private people Hmm. are leaving to get out from under a bad boss. Wow. Of all the reasons they're naming for why they're going, they will not work for that person anymore. And, and typically that boss is probably taking Pace and and process right from above them. That's yeah. very common. Is they're they're just mirroring what they're seeing. They're they're it's it's the policy. And people are calling them on it and moving on. Uh, we recently had an engagement with a twenty year government person. Typically, by twenty years, you don't go anywhere because you're <laughs> you're you're five to ten years from your parachute. Your golden parachute's about to come. Yeah. And this person said to us, "I will not spend another day working under these." This situation I'm taking my 20 and I'm out and I I was shocked I said I'm talking about it are you sure you can't just hang on for a little longer yeah I, and and it was not another day and that's there was a 1 million resignations this is a study that Gallup did a little while back 75 um, percent named their boss for the number one reason they were leaving
1: yeah I can see it so I'm curious Brandon what are you hearing or finding through the stuff so the studies? That yes, for decades we've been saying people leave bosses, but did something change? In other words, what did the boss become bad during COVID, or was this that's how the boss was already and now? But the experience is so much worse because of the reality of today.
0: Yeah, it's a great question, Jeff. And I I think when you connect employee engagement science, which really burst onto the scenes in in 1999, so Gallup really started to push forward this this idea that you need to measure this metric. It's it's more important than every other metric. And, and it was in their, their landmark book, First Break All the Rules, which then gave way to now discover your strengths. So as that started to take root in corporate, people began to understand what a good boss was. <laughs> what does it mean to have one? And what does it mean when I don't? And as that um, has, has grown, either with a connection to StrengthsFinder or otherwise, Employee engagement is now a very common topic, no matter who you credit for it. And I think as organizations are becoming increasingly aware of that interest, there's also the education and and increased intelligence among workers to know who they will and won't work for And, and finding that they have options out there that they can move to. And I think they're taking advantage.
2: Now, do you find that even in the public sector, you're seeing them offer a lot of flexibility?
0: Absolutely. Okay. Like no other time. I mean, just the reality of work from home, and the and I think public sector will stay there. I think they're they're less inclined to come back. More regs. They, they they're you know pretty large workforces, yeah. and so in that, it's changing the narrative of how they manage now. The managers need support because managing a remote or or hybrid workforce takes some uh, getting used to and knowing how to approach it. But statistically speaking, over the years, as, as engagement's been measured, um, at-home workers actually score higher on engagement than people who have to commute. That's, that's been understood for a couple of decades now. So I, I think in the public sector, um, as interesting as it is, it's more flexibility than we've ever seen hmm. in our eight years there.
1: Good. My cynic just came online. I got to ask <laughs> question. I'm thinking, well, that would make sense because pre COVID, you're more likely to hear a uh, private sector company talk about having a culture, whether they actually do or not. Right. Versus a public saying, culture, what's that about? We're just here to get our shit done. Right. So I could imagine people saying, well, why don't we, we don't have to have them come back as long as they get their shit done? We don't care about culture. I'm wondering if that's part of the reason that they're not. Is much of an issue.
0: Well, it's culture and liability, so I think those two certainly weigh pretty heavy. Um, but I would add that I have had more culture conversations in the public sector than I've ever had. I mean, in the last two years, I'll say, because as leaders are emerging, so they they had a term with one agency we worked for. They called it the silver tsunami. I don't know if you've heard of that term, but the uh, <laughs> the outgoing generation. I'll say it that way. And the emerging leaders, they were pushing forward more thought around effective leadership. What does it take to build healthy workplace cultures and be great places to work, even though we're at the Department of Motor Vehicles or at the Food and Drug Administration? And so um, because you're not going to necessarily talk about the macro, you're going to get it by agencies or divisions. And that's been pretty fascinating to be a part of.
1: Well, we certainly are living in interesting times, including in leadership. I want to go back and touch on the parenting piece again. Sure. When you, and this is probably a difficult question, but I'll ask it anyway. If you look at what you've learned about parental leadership, what's the sort of the top thing that comes to mind that people can take from parental leadership and bring into their workplace leadership?
0: Yeah, so... When I think of parental leadership, and and I'll use the relationship with my eighteen-year-old daughter, um, I'm going to occupy one of three positions in her heart and mind. So I will either be perceived by her as her advocate. I'm in her corner. I'm on her side. She can trust me. My advice is for her well-being. Or she can see me as her adversary. We're opponents. When I come in, I'm I'm going to drag her down, or I'm just going to tell her what she's doing wrong. Or third she'll see me as ambivalent. Just don't care. I'm not, I'm not long for the ride. We're just kind of sharing space. And as a parent, I cannot pick for her how she sees me.
2: Yeah.
0: I get to choose for me how I present myself more often. What I would say is that when she was 16, 15 and 16, I was her adversary. Didn't want to be her adversary, but I was. And what I mean by that is though I would have told you at the time a couple of years ago, no, I'm just being well-meaning. I'm just being, I'm just using my my strengths approach to help keep her where she needs to be because she's a strong-willed child and ha- had uh, some level of belligerence and had some level of defiance, which when people hear this, they're like, and she's 15 though. That's not shocking. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and And in my home, interestingly enough, her three older siblings all lost their minds at 15, also. So it wasn't like it was a new phenomenon for my wife and I. But what happened with this one is we happened to be so close in our strengths that we just collided, sparks flew. And when she turned 17 as dad, I had to realize I'm the leader, I'm the tone setter. I have to go first. If I'm waiting for her to change, And though she performed great, she was good at stuff that she did, great athlete, great student, great friend. But there were just times and places we didn't mesh. So in making my shift to as much as it's up to me, I'm going to be this kid's advocate doesn't mean I won't help guide and make decisions. But I'll tell you, in one year, it transformed our relationship. Awesome. And we're a whole different place. So when I talk to leaders about being a great manager, I use the same imagery. You will occupy one of these three places. You choose over time to be an advocate. It doesn't take away the times where you have to confront things, difficult conversations, hold people accountable. You just do it from the attitude of an advocate,
2: yeah.
0: not the behavior of an adversary and guard ambivalence because it's it's the one that'll take you down.
1: I love that because you know one another area that we've regularly had conversations about, and I have with my clients is a phrase I hear regularly these days is. Yeah, we need we need more empathy, but we can, we can't be too empathetic, right? And I now have a belief that I hold very pretty strongly that you can't be too empathetic. Right. You can do too much of a lot of things, like those things you were talking about. Do it from a place of an advocate, you know. Have that direct conversation from a place of empathy. Hold boundaries from a place of empathy. Provide feedback from a place of empathy, but it doesn't. Like this whole thing, I I get stuck being nice. People say, "I said, what does nice have to do with leadership?" <laughs> that I don't even think it's part of the conversation,
0: right? Right? You know, it, and as my my daughter's transitioned to college, in and now listening to her work through, as every college student will, what do I want my major to be? I'm changing my mind. I'm thinking here, thinking there. I want to move out. As we're doing it, it's it's really cool. This is like uh, unusual in my home. I get to help regulate my wife <laughs> on some of her, you know, like we get to help each other. Like let's stay in this space of supporting our kid, offering her different outcomes, different pathways, but really start to respect her autonomy and do that in a way that leads to, you know, some outcome that will sustain, you know, cause as parents, I I'd like to have a relationship with them beyond when they live in my home. Right. That's I want to, I want to have them call me at 30 to say, Hey, what do you think about this home I'm looking at? Hey, what do you think of this investment? I want that relationship. Yeah. I'm building on it while they're in the home.
2: That's so good. Yes. I, I have that with my sons and it, it feels so good to be right. on the other side of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I, I love the piece you added in that, what you shared there at the end brand and this idea that you can decide what you want and decide to model it. But ultimately the other person decides what the relationship is and how they experience you. And they're the ones that knows what it is. And I see so many leaders saying, this is who I am. I said, well, let's ask your people if they agree. They're the ones that decide what kind of leader you are. (laughs) This has been so rich, Brandon. I I just had a feeling it would be something told me. The words were on the paper, but it went beyond (laughs) the words. Uh, So, Brandon, we always want our guests to have an opportunity to highlight or promote something in particular that's going on for you or in your business. What is that for you?
0: So, I will say too, uh, for 34 Strong, um, we are really focused on the public sector. And uh, we, we use now our term, we solve that, we solve disengagement in the public sector, in the government. And so, if you're listening today, and, and, and I know public sector is broad, super broad, um, 34strong.com, great place to go to get resources. There's resources there. You don't even have to engage with us to start with. That'll help if you're a leader in that space. And then I would just add for Incredible Family, if, if you work in a place where um, you'd like to introduce the idea of supporting the working parents, incrediblefamily.com, a lot of great resources for those of you in the human resource world, um, some some resources there that even provide you with some uh, continuing education units and, and some things you can bring right into your workplace. I
1: awesome. love that, Brandon. Uh, you mentioned a couple of websites, but uh, What's the best way for people to connect with you?
0: Brandon at the number three, the number four, the word strong.com. Brandon at 34strong.com.
1: Well, as you know, Brandon, we always wrap up with a couple of our signature questions. The first one for you is, what's that book? What's that one book that people need to go explore
0: to grow their leadership? Ideal Team Player by Patrick Lencioni. Excellent resource. It transformed, yeah, transformed the way we hire, transformed uh, some of what I teach my kids. There's three virtues that he talks about in the book. Literally teach my, my two boys that are playing sports right now to be humble, hungry and smart. I teach my boys that if you can learn to show up that way in your adolescent sports and learn to do that in life, uh, it will enhance every team you're on. And I feel like for leaders that are building teams and wanting to show up in a way that people want to really follow you, that Patrick does a really great job in that book, giving some insights into what makes for great team players.
1: Yeah. Fantastic, Brandon. And our final question for you is, you've shared a lot with us today, but what's that one drop of, what's that one wisdom
0: bomb for our listeners? So it's going to be, do your part to show up as an advocate for those you lead. As much as you can choose it, there's two questions every child is born with. Number one, do you love me? And number two, will you let me do anything I want to do? And if we're good leaders, we would tell them yes to the first question and no to the second one, because the first question is, I love you. And as a leader, if we carry that over to, I need to lead you and I need to tell you no, but I can operate as an advocate and do both. Uh, I, I find that that's a nugget that many of us can can endeavor to aspire to and see results from it.
1: Good wisdom. Uh, Wonderful. Wonderful, Brandon. Thanks for being here. Thanks for all your, all that you've shared today in this conversation and thanks for all the work you're doing in the world, not only with companies, but with uh, governments and with families. Thank you.
0: Thank you for having me guys.
2: If you enjoyed this episode, please go to your favorite podcasting app, rate us, give us some comments, share some love. It helps us to get our message out to more people. Thank you so much. You enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership? We have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cardavera.com/confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Don't you know that you're-